So I'll begin in Genesis chapter 6 and we'll think about this. What is the condition of man? Genesis chapter 6, the Lord said unto uh, Noah, or says it, and then Noah has found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord said in chapter number 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And you might think, well, that's, that's over since the flood. Well, after the flood, in chapter number 8, in verse number 21, the Lord says this, 8.21, The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. So, did man's condition change after the flood? I'm afraid that it did not. And just a little about this. Uh, the words here, he says that every imagination, the inclination the framework and the purpose of man is continually and the thoughts of his heart. So there is the inner man and the seed of all his emotions, his thoughts, his affection. That is the condition of man continually. That did not change after the flood. If you'd like to read with me in Psalm chapter number 5, verse number 9, Psalm 5, 9. And I, I'm sorry for all the turning, but I'd just like to try to establish a little bit by Scripture before we look farther. Verse 9, Psalm chapter 5, verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very, is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Now that, uh, you're going to find a portion of that in Romans chapter number 3. Uh, that very verse that we read, Psalms chapter number 58, verse 3. 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born speaking lies. Now that's pretty terrible, isn't it? That man comes out of the womb... I, I, you know, this might be a little bit much to say, but you know, isn't it amazing that one of the first things that children learn to do is to lie? Isn't that something? They learn to lie. But you know something? Where did they learn that? Let's just say they're the one and only child in the house. Where did they learn that? That is the condition of fallen Man. That is man's condition. You know, Adam was our federal head, and everybody fell when Adam fell. And the only way that that condition has ever changed is that everyone is made alive through and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For our condition to change, there has to be a change of the condition of the heart of man. So, a little farther, uh, Psalm 
uh, number 14, verse number 1 and 2. I'm sorry I missed that. Psalm number 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. You know, I hear today, I hear preachers in the pulpits talking about men seeking God. By the Word of God, there is no man that's seeking God. The condition of man, unless God intervenes, unless man does, God does a work on man, man will never seek after God. Verse number 3, They are gone aside, they are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Again, we can look in Romans chapter number 3, verse 10, 11, 12. We would find that. Isaiah chapter 53, very familiar Scripture. Again, we're just trying to establish by the Word of God the condition of man. Isaiah chapter number 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the book of Micah, the book of Micah, chapter number 7, verse number uh, 2, and number, or verse number 2 through verse number 4. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievousness, mischievous desire, so that they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and the visitation come, now shall be their perplexity. So what kind of condition is man in? Listen to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10, I believe this is where the rich young ruler comes and says, Good master, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. So on in Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter 3. So you say, well, that was all the Old Testament. Well, we're, we're beginning to get into, and that in the book of Mark is in the New Testament, Romans chapter number 3. But you know, isn't it amazing that the New Testament writers use the Old Testament and refer to it? Has man changed? Man hasn't changed. And what God... What God, how God saw man in the Old Testament is still the same way that God sees man in the New Testament without a Savior. Without a Savior, uh, Romans chapter number 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. 
There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together, are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You know, he's going to go on and describe how bad that man is. But can you see his condition? 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter 1. And I'm sorry for so much turning. If we say we have no sin, verse number 8, 1 John chapter 1, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. What condition is man in? I tell you, man is in a terrible, terrible condition away from God, no desire to come to God. His desire is continually and always. His imagination, his framework, his heart is continually evil. So now let's think about the call. Has there been a call? Psalm number 17 I believe you could see in this whole psalm how the world, how the creation of the world says that there is a God. I'm just going to read maybe one or two verses. Uh, Psalm number 19, verse 1. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the ferment sheweth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them have they set a tabernacle for the sun. You know, isn't it amazing that the creation is declaring that there's a God, and there's a God that's above man. That there's a God that you and I are going to answer to. And God, you know... There's no place on the face of the earth that His Son doesn't shine. No place that's hid. That God... He says this, Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their words... So is is the Son speaking? Oh, it's speaking. The Son is speaking that there is a God... He'll tell us in Romans chapter 1 that the creation declares that there's a God. So if there's a God, does that bring me under subjection to a God? If there's a God who created the world, should I be under subjection? Should that bring some, uh, uh, some uh, place of, uh, uh, of, of me uh, being accountable to this God? I believe it does. So he says to us in Proverbs chapter number 8, verse number 1. Proverbs chapter 8. Now, let's think about this. The call of God. The call of God unto man. Doth not wisdom cry? And understanding put forth her verse. Voice. She standeth in the top of the high places, by the way, in the places of the path. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, 
understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of understanding heart. Are, are we able to get away? We're not able to get away from the voice of God. So, Isaiah chapter, 50, chapter 45, again, has the call gone out? Is there a call gone out to man? Isaiah chapter 45. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none other. Isaiah 55, 1. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Sounds like the call has gone out. Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew, the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11. Verse number 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11. Uh, let, let's go to John. I want to I look at Matthew 11 a little bit later. John chapter number 3, probably the most familiar verse out of the King James Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever... So there's a call to all, Right? Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts chapter number 17. What a verse that this is. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul is at Mars Hill. I'm going to read 29 and 30. For as much as then as we know the offspring of God, that we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's everybody, isn't it? All men everywhere to repent. So the condition of man is he's in a lost state. Man is away from God, no desire to come to God, yet God says, come to me. God says every man needs to repent. Every man, everywhere. Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come and learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth, should not perish, but have everlasting life. How do we bring all of this together? How can we bring this? So I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to just look. If you could bear with us a few minutes, maybe we can get zeroed in here. 
let's look in Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter number 9, verse number 10. Matthew 9, verse 10. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat and meet in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Him and His disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto His disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, He said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Could we say this? That we have established that every man on the face of the earth is a sinner. But man does not realize that he's a sinner until a work of God is done. Now you think with me. Think how serious that this is. The Pharisees, why? Why does your master, says to the disciples, why is your master eating with publicans and sinners? You know what they were saying? We're not in that group. We're not one of those. Why does he eat with publicans and sinners? I tell you, because Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. I tell you, Jesus came to call sinners. And man does not see himself to be a sinner. Man does, if man saw himself as a sinner, he would seek after God. If man realized he was a sinner on the road to hell, man would be looking for a Savior. But man does not look for God. Man does not seek after a Savior because he does not see himself as a sinner. For me to see myself as a sinner and for you to see yourself as a sinner, there must be a work of God done on the inside of you. Now you say, well, I I believe all it takes is the preaching of the gospel. Well, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to disagree with you in this sense. In the fact that I heard the gospel, you heard the gospel, most likely, many times before you were ever saved, before you ever realized your lost condition, you heard the gospel. Very well could have been that a man was preaching the Word of God, which was written by the Spirit of God. May have been preaching in the Spirit of God. He was anointed of God, chosen of God, called of God. But there had to be a work done in you as an individual. God had to do a work in you. So there had to be a work of the Holy Spirit in you. You see, when I'm talking to you, unless there's a work of God done on the inside of you, the only thing that I can appeal to is your natural man. And the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So it must be the Spirit of God that works in you that you would come to the realization that I need to be saved. You see, as I'm looking at it, I look in my natural man, I look at you and I look at my neighbor and I look at the people around me and you know what I do? I look at them and I find somebody that is a lot worse sinner, a lot worse moral, uh, moral uh, friend, a man that is uh, uh, way down on the ladder, lower than what I am in his morals, in his action, in his talk, in the 
things that He allows, I look at that and therefore I justify myself in my natural man by looking at other natural men. But you see, we're not talking about the natural man. No, I tell you, it's the inside. I need a change on the inside. I need... Not, you know, where, where does murder and adulteries and idolatry and, and, and swearing and cursing and drunk, where does that come from? According to the Bible, it comes from out of the heart. It comes from the inner man. I need to be changed from the inside. If the inside changes, the outside will follow, I guarantee it. If God does a work on the inside of you, there is no question in my mind, and the Bible will back it up, your life outwardly will be changed because God changed you inwardly. So what's the problem in Matthew chapter 9? There's no sinners. You see that? They don't see themselves as sinners. That's man's condition. If man saw himself as a sinner... He'd call on God. So let's go to Matthew chapter number 10, verse 14 and 15. Well, let's go to chapter 11 and we maybe maybe look back at chapter 10. Let's go to chapter 11. And you know, we've read in chapter 11, we've read verse 28, 29, and 30 where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. How can I come? Read with me. If you would read with me, I believe it will help you to look at the Scripture and read with me if you will. 11.20 So Jesus begins to upbraid. He begins to rebuke. He begins to reprimand the cities where the most mighty works were done because they did not repent. They repented not. What, 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 what does he say? Woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What's, what's going on here? There's been great works done in Chorazin and Bethsaida. And he's going to come down and talk about Capernaum. The greatest works of all were done in Capernaum. The dead were raised. The blind were given sight. But what's the condition of man? Why is man not changed? So he says in verse number number 22, But I say unto you, now listen to these words, It shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou Capernaum. So you could say that Jesus' headquarters in His earthly ministry was Capernaum. O Capernaum, Capernaum which are exalted unto heaven. My God, if the Lord passes by, you know what? You are blessed. Capernaum was blessed beyond any other city in the days of the Lord Jesus because He spent His most time and done the most miracles in that little region. 
So the Lord says, Capernaum, though thou art exalted into heaven, thou shalt be, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. What a verse and what a statement. What a statement that the Lord Jesus says, if the works had been done in Sodom, that had been done in this city, Sodom would still remain. So let's think on that for just a moment. Would it have been wrong, is it wrong for God to punish sin? Is there anything wrong with God punishing sin? By this Word of God, Sodom was destroyed. We know that out of the book of Genesis. Was there anything wrong with that? Yet, the Bible says this, if Sodom had had the opportunity... You read it with me. Read it with me again so we don't miss it. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. Let's read it. O thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day Again, is it wrong for God to punish sin? So did God do anything wrong by destroying Sodom? He didn't do anything wrong. You know the truth is this? God wouldn't have done anything wrong if He had sent me to hell. There wouldn't have been anything wrong because I was guilty. Mankind as a whole is guilty. And there's been a call. There's been a call gone out to the whole world to come and be saved. There's no other God but me. Come ye. Come ye and be saved. There is no other God but me. Why won't man come? I tell you, man doesn't realize his condition. But I want you to realize this, ladies and gentlemen, that if God has called you, what a privilege that you have. What a blessing of God that you have. And if you want to say, well, God looked down through the ages of time and saw what I would do. And that's the reason that I'm saved. Well, God, according to the words of Jesus Christ Himself, if He had given Sodom the opportunity that Compertium had, that city would have remained until this day. Now, that may be hard to swallow, but that is the Bible. God did not give them, though, though by the Word of God, if they had been given that opportunity, it would have remained. I know that may be hard to swallow, but this is the Word of God, and this Word of God is repeated over and over and over again. I tell you how, how privileged that we are that God would come by with His Word and come by with His Spirit and prick our hearts and bring us to a realization of our condition. If God sent me to hell, there would not be one thing wrong with what God did. 
But do you know that the Lord come by and prick my heart just like it was when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and they were pricked in their hearts, my friend, and they called on the Lord. This is the same group that crucified the Lord Jesus. He come by with the Holy Ghost and spoke to their hearts and pricked their hearts and they said, what must we do? Peter, what do we need to do how to be saved? What a change. God did that work. Please read with me in, in, in Matthew 11. At that time Jesus answered and said this, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent, you know, he tells us in Corinthians chapter number 1, there's not many wise, not many noble, not many rich, not many great men that are called. Why not? By the Word of God, Jesus is saying to God the Father, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Who are the wise and the prudent? That'll be the Pharisees. That'll be the Sadducees. That'll be the Sanhedrin. That'll be those great learned men, those men that have such great knowledge of the law of God. But you know, they were looking for a Savior that was going to deliver them from Rome. They were looking for a 33 A.D. Davidic kingdom. They were looking for a new David kingdom. You know what they needed? They needed a revelation of what Jesus really came for. They needed a revelation of who Jesus Christ was and His purpose. But you know, God didn't reveal that to them. By this word now, bear with me, even so, Father, I thank Thee, O Lord, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, to the simple, to the humble, to the teachable. You see this crowd that's railing on him over here in Matthew chapter 9 that says, what's he doing eating with sinners? He's a nobody. He's not much of a man if he's going to eat with publicans and sinners. The truth is they needed a Savior, didn't they? Even the publicans, the sinners, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high court, the, uh, uh, the, the people that was on the Sanhedrin, and the great leaders in Judaism needed a Savior, but Jesus hid that from them. And He revealed it unto babes. Even so, Father, verse 26, 11, 26, Even so, Father, now this is Christ speaking unto God the Father, so it seemeth good in thy sight. This pleased God. This was God's purpose. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. No man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son revealeth him. Now what's he saying right here? I'm going to have to have a revelation from God to see my condition. 
God is going to have to do a work on the inside of me for me to see my condition. But the next three verses are going to call the whole world to come to Him. Can they come? See, here's the problem. It's not can they come. They don't want to come. They have no desire to come. They're not sinners in their eyes. There is no desire from fallen man to come to God until God reveals unto him his true condition. I, I, I hope you won't just turn that off and, and throw it out the door. <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13. And this is where I'm reading is going to be the parable of the sower. But I, I'm not going to read all of that. I just want to read just a few verses. Matthew 13, verse 2. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude sat on the shore. And he spake many things to them in parables. So he's going to give them the parable of the seed and the sower. Now listen to verse number 10. And so he gave them the parable. Do they understand it? Not even the disciples. Not the disciples don't even understand the parable. Now here's the thing, folks, and we'll read it farther, farther on in Scripture. They do understand it. They do hear it, and they do see it naturally. They do see it naturally but they do not see the spiritual meaning of it. So you, you keep that in mind. The disciples said in verse 10, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Now I want you to notice the distinction. It is given unto you, who is you? The disciples. It is given unto you to know, to grasp, to understand the mysteries. What's, what's hidden? This mystery, this mystery of the kingdom of God. Read with me. Read with me. For it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. So Jesus is revealing... Now listen, this mystery is something... This is not something that's supposed to be... Uh, kept hidden forever, but this is a mystery that's supposed to be revealed. This is a mystery that Jesus Christ is going to reveal. Who's He revealing it to? Who is going to grasp, who is going to understand what the parable of the seed and the sower means? Those to who He opens it. And you know, people might reject this, but you're going to have to reject the clear, plain teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11, It is given unto you, latter part of the verse, but unto them not given given unto you to know, given unto you to grasp, given unto you to understand that which has been hidden, 
What are the Pharisees? What is this group right here looking for? They're looking for a natural Savior. You know what our world is looking for today? They're looking for a Jesus that will help my bank account. They're looking for a Jesus that will help me get another job. They're looking for a Jesus that will help the marriage. They're looking for a Jesus that will make our, our whole lives just absolutely wonderful. They're looking for a Jesus that will help man in his flesh. Jesus did not come to take care of man's flesh. Jesus came to do a work in the spirit, in the inner man, in the inward part of man. Christ came to do a work on the inside of you. He did not come to do a work and set up an earthly kingdom. He came to do a work on the inside of man to uh, uh, to, uh, to make man free, not from Rome, Brought from his sin. Can you see that man needs to be saved not from Rome, but from his sin. Man needs to be saved from his heart condition. Lord, why are you speaking to him in parables? I'm speaking into him in parables. Because it's given unto you to know, and unto them it's not given. Whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he that hath, he may have more abundance. Whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that that he hath. Now listen. Listen in verse 13. Therefore speak I to them. Who's them? It's everybody else there except for the disciples at this moment. I speak unto them in parables. Now listen. Because they see Him. They see it, don't they? They see it naturally. They see the man going out and sowing seed and it falling over on the, on the gravel. For us today, falling on the pavement. They see that seed falling on rocky ground. They see that seed falling on a, on a field that's full of thistles and thorns. They see that. But they do not see what it means to me as a man. They see the parable. They see it, but they don't perceive it. They hear it, but they don't understand it. They have a natural understanding, but what they need is a spiritual understanding. God has to do that. God has to do that. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. God has to do a work. We need not expect man to respond to the gospel until God does a work in the heart of the individual. If I can call you or persuade you or prod you or, or convince you to come and make some profession and make some commitment and God is not doing a work in your heart, I have deceived you. God must do this work. Therefore speak I unto them, 13.13, in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, hear not. Neither do they understand, he said in verse number 11, that you 
for you to know. It's given unto you to know. You to understand. You to grasp it. You to get it. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. Now I want you to look, folks. Both of it's here. God's work is here, and man's responsibility is here. If God doesn't reveal it, man will never come. But man is called to come. Isn't man called to come? Does man know he's a sinner? He knows he's a sinner. Does man realize that as God given us signs in the heavens and in the earth and in the creation, do we know? I ask you, where are your fathers? Who are your forefathers? Did they, are they still alive today? No, I tell you, they died and they went out to meet God. We've got a knowledge, but oh, I tell you, we need a knowledge on the inside of us. We need the Holy Spirit of God to reveal unto us our true condition. What did Isaiah say? Isaiah, he said, you go and you tell them and you make their, make their heart fat. Their eyes are, are gross. This is what the Bible says in verse number 15. Here's man. For this people's heart is wax gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and I should convert and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Who's blessed their eyes? God has. God's blessed their eyes. God has blessed them with understanding. God has blessed them to be able to see and understand what the parable means. God has opened their spiritual understanding. And yet, and yet, Man has closed his eyes and stopped his ears to the truth of the Word of God. How are you going to get away from that? You're not. You can't get away from it. There's no way to get away from it. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, your ears, for they hear. Verse 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. I tell you, thank God for His blessing of revelation. He brought revelation to me one day. God revealed unto me my true condition. And you know, once I realized what my condition was, I wanted to be saved. I did. Read with me some more. Read with me in John. I'm, I'm sorry, not John. Read with me in uh, Mark chapter number 1. And I just want you to think logically with me. John chapter or Mark chapter number one. Jesus is walking by the seashore in verse number sixteen, and he sees Simon, Andrew, 
brothers, casting a net in the sea. And Jesus said, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. What happened? Here is a man they've never seen. Here is a man they've had no association with. And he says, come and follow me. And they left their business. Luke says, they left the greatest catch of fish they ever caught in their life and went and followed him. i tell you what's going on, folks. If you would be reasonable and be logical, God is doing a work on the inside of these two boys right here. God is doing a work on them, and they're coming because God has done a work on the inside of them. Read with me. Go on with me. To Let's just read the next three verses. Straightway they forsook their nets, followed Him. He went and gone on a little farther, and He saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. What is going on? How in the world are these men just leaving everything, their livelihood, their career, their, their means to support their family? They're leaving that at the drop of a hat and following after a man that doesn't even have a place to lay his head. That's exactly what it is. It's a call of God that went to the inside. It's a call of God. Why? Why would you come to Jesus? Why would you come? You won't come. I wouldn't come. I didn't want to come. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the church, nothing to do any, with anybody that had anything to do with the church. But I tell you, the call of God come one day. And friend, it was a work that was done on the inside. And you know something? This call, this call, ladies and gentlemen, was an effectual call. It was a call that brought about a result. It was a call that was a call that went on the inside and brought them when they would have never come before. Read with me again in Mark. Mark chapter 2, verse 12. Mark chapter 2, and immediately he arose, took up his bed. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, here's a man that's been carried down to the house, sick of the palsy. And the Lord said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. They say, who are you? Nobody can forgive sin but God. Now, reason with me. This man speak blasphemies, verse 7. Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they so reason, He said, why reason you think these things? So He, he brings out something to them. Which is easier for me to say, now, can I see can I see whether this man's sins are forgiven? Can anybody in the crowd see whether this man's sins are forgiven? 
They can't see that, can they? But he says this, which is easier? Which brings the greater proof and witness? If I say your sins are forgiven, and you make fun of that and you say, who can do that but God? Or would it be easier for me to say to this man, which would give the greatest witness and the greatest proof? Take up thy bed and walk. Arise and take up thy bed. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sin, he saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. This man, by the word of God, and immediately he rose, took up his bed, and went before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw on such a fashion. What's going on? I tell you, there was a work of God done in this man. You see, this can't happen unless God does the work. Chapter 4 and verse number 1. Chapter 4. He began to teach by the seaside. There were gathered great multitudes. He entered in a ship, sat down. The whole multitude was by the sea, uh, by the sea on the land. Verse number uh, 11. And He said unto them, Unto you it is given unto know... What's He talking about? Same parable. Here's Mark's account of it. Here's Mark's account. He spoke to the whole crowd. Do they understand it? Jesus says in verse 9 to the whole crowd, He that hath ears, let him hear. Does everybody there have ears? But does everybody there discern and know what He's talking about? They see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't understand. They don't grasp it. They don't understand it. They don't get it. Jesus says in verse 11, "...unto you is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without..." All these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. You mean that God is withholding, that God is not opening or revealing this unto everyone? No, He's not. No, He's not. If you understand, if you've heard, if you realize that you're a sinner, you've been blessed. You've been favored of God. Go on with me a little more. Luke 8 and 10. Luke chapter 8, verse number 10. Luke 8 and 10, the Bible says this, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. I tell you, it looks to me like God's in control of who understands. It looks like God's in control. I can see with a natural eye, but that doesn't help me spiritually, does it? I'm afraid that multitudes upon multitudes have been propagated and been moved and been stirred and been called and been brought to altars and been brought to decisions that have been worked on in the flesh and God has never done a work in the heart. That's too much. Look at Zacchaeus chapter number 19. Zacchaeus, 
here's a rich man, here's a tax collector. And I'm not going to elaborate on this a long time, but listen to what Jesus says in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, He looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. He got a word from God, didn't he? And let me tell you this, the rich man, the little man, the tax collector, the Jewish man had to come down I believe there's a great, great lesson in this Scripture right here. Man is always trying to go up to God. If you're going to go to God, you're going to have to come down to God. Jesus came as a Savior for sinners. Zacchaeus, if you want to see Jesus, you'll have to come down. If you want to go to God, you'll first have to come down. You know what that means? That means that I'll have to come down and need a Savior. That means I'll have to come down from my position. That means I'll have to come down from my intellect. That means that I'll have to come down. If I ever plan on going up to God, I'll have to come down and need a Savior. Jesus came down. Do you think man doesn't have to come down? That's the reason man won't come. He won't come down. He doesn't need a Savior. And the truth is, he needs a Savior. The calls went out to the whole world. All men everywhere, the callers went out to repent. But can he? Will he? No man can come unto me except my Father, which is in heaven, who sent me, draw him. That's what the book says. John 6.44. Read with me a little farther. John 12.37. I'm trying to hurry. John 12.37. John 12.37. But though He had done so many miracles before them, so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, now listen, therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes. He hath hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw him in glory. That's in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah. What's going on? I'll tell you on the vertical and the ultimate position, God Almighty is at work. And on the horizontal, man in his, in his self-righteousness, man in his love for sin, man in his love for darkness, man in his rejection for the light. A friend, man rejects the light. Man loves darkness and hates light. Man hates God and loves his sin. Man will not come to God unless God does a work in the heart of man. That's the only way that you can come. Man is in a fallen, depraved, sin, condition, he's going to hell. And the call has went out to the whole world to come. But to you, whom God has revealed Himself.
and spoken to you. You can come. Acts 13. Acts 13. We'll try to hush in just a minute or two. So this is what the Bible says. Here is Paul and Barnabas. Acts 13. They've been preaching to the Jews. Verse number 44. 13.44 The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you have put it from you, you've rejected it and judged yourself. So they tried the Word of God, and then something the Word of God didn't suit them. And really what bothered them is all of these Gentiles coming. What bothered them is it looks like the whole crowd's going to follow a Paul and a Barnabas and they're going to leave Judaism. Oh, let, let's listen to what the Bible says. It was necessary that the Word of God should have been spoken unto you, but seeing you have put it from you, they rejected it and judged yourself to be unworthy of everlasting life. We turn to the Gentiles. You know what they are? They're boastful. They're prideful. They're self-righteous. They are religious. But they do not have salvation. There's never been a work of God done in their heart. Listen to what Paul says. For so God hath commanded us. What are they going to do? They're going to turn from the Jews and turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. There's the whole world if you'll have it. There's the world. There's the gospel going to the world. There's Jesus dying for the world to the ends of the earth, He said. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the Word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believe. Who ordained it? God was doing a work in their hearts. If God had not done a work in my heart, I would not have believed it. You know what this is? This is against the natural man. It's against it. Read with me another time in Acts chapter 28. Verse 24, 28, 24. Paul's at Rome. He's preaching to him. He's speaking to them. He's reasoning with them. Verse 24, And some believe the things that were spoken, and some believe not. Why didn't they believe? Well, that was their choice. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word. 
Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto the fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people, do you see God's work in the verse number 25 and 26? Do you see God in verse 25 26? Now look at man in verse number 27 and 28. For the heart of this people is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be understand and be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and they will hear it. Now you might reject this, but God said to Moses, Go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But I, but I will harden his heart that he will not let them. What did he say? Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden. Who can come? Those that God opens their heart. Those that God does a work in. Those that God comes by and reveals unto me, I'm a sinner on the road to hell. Thank God that He revealed that unto me. I desired and wanted a Savior. Have you ever seen yourself as a sinner on the road to hell? Have you ever seen yourself lost and undone? I'm not talking about you're not as good as somebody else. I tell you, in my opinion, I was just as good as anybody and everybody else. But the truth was, I was on the road to hell. But God showed me one day my true condition on the inside. Oh, that man, that man could see. He tells us in Romans chapter number 11, and I'll hush just a second. Has God cast away His people? No. No, God hadn't cast away His people. Romans chapter 11, verse number 2, Hath God cast away His people which He foreknew? Would you not, want not, what the Scripture saith of Elias? So He's talking about Elijah. How did He make intercession unto God against Israel? Saying, Lord, they've, they've killed the prophets. Dig down thy altars. I'm, the, I'm left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? Now listen, listen who done the reserving. God's answer to him. I have reserved, that word means to keep for myself, to keep remaining. I have reserved to myself 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. You know, friend, if God had not done a work in those 7,000 knees, they would have bowed to Baal just like everybody else. Do you know if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, if you're here tonight and you're saved, that you would have went to hell just like everybody else? Do you know that if it wasn't for the mercy and the call of God and, and, and the persuasion of the Holy Spirit in you, that you would have died and went to hell if it had not been for God reserving you? Again, I ask you, would God be doing anything wrong to send me to hell? 
I won't answer for you. I won't answer for the Sodomites. I won't ask for answer for Gomorrah. I'll just say for me. God would have been absolutely 1,000% perfectly just to send me to hell. But by the mercy and the grace and the long-suffering of God, He come by and you know what I got? I got grace. I was saved by grace. I was saved by the wonderful, marvelous grace of God. Not any works, not anything that He saw in me, not anything that He saw I would do, could do, ever have done. He saved me by grace. If it was by something that He saw, then it's not by grace. We're saved by grace. But what saith the answer of God? I have reserved to myself seven thousand who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so at this present time also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. If by grace then it is no more works, otherwise grace is no more wake, uh, grace. But if it be works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise work is no more work. Which will it be? Will we get in by grace or by works? They don't go together. You're saved by grace.